Hey there, welcome to the Collide Podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide and the host of this cast. And I am going to spend some time this week sharing and walking you alongside four different reflections. We recently had a conference for women, as we do several times a year, and we invited women who were around age 60 to age 99 to each come and share the one thing that they wish they would have known when they were younger. And it was a beautiful night. We had even a 95-year-old and a 99-year-old, and there was so much wisdom to to be learned from them. And in between these eight different women sharing their wisdom, we stopped and paused and had moments of reflection. And those moments of reflection I'm going to share today on the podcast. So if you're driving in your car, you're on the treadmill, or you're cooking in your kitchen, you can reflect, but you could also take this time that I'm going to walk you through and sit down on the couch, you know, get out a cozy blanket and some coffee, get out a journal and a pen, and you could walk alongside me as I invite you to reflect on a few things. We are people who are on this journey called life, and so often we're carrying around with us so many things for the journey. And so I'm going to start by pausing and inviting us to reflect about what some of those things are that we're carrying around with us. And I'm going to start here first in the first reflection, talking about regrets. And many of us can say that we don't have regrets, but research actually says that having regrets is the second most common emotion that people express. When we regret something, we go back to our past and sort of feel distress or sorrow over circumstances that we cannot change. And we think about the things we wish we would have done or the things we wished we wouldn't have done. And we find ourselves saying those two words, if only, if only I would have done this, if only I wouldn't have done that. And usually we don't turn to a regret once, but we ruminate on it over and over and over again. I know I do this and you might do this too. And it's interesting because the word ruminate comes from the Latin word ruminare, which comes from the name for the first stomach compartment of ruminant animals. So for example, when cows ruminate, they regurgitate something they already ate, they chew it further, they swallow it, they partly digest it, then they regurgitate it and chew it and swallow it again. And this is what we do with our regrets. We don't turn back to them once. No, we spit them back up and we chew on them and think obsessively about all the things we wish we could change. And we do it over and over and over again. And maybe you're resonating with me as I say this. So if you have a journal with you, I'm going to invite you at the top page of your journal to go ahead and write the phrase, woulda, coulda, shouldas. And take a moment to look back on your life and name some of your regrets right there on that page. And if you don't have a journal, you can just be thinking about this. Woulda, coulda, shoulda sound like, I wish I would have spent more time with them. I wish I would have reacted differently. I wish I would have shown up. I wish I would have taken better care of my body. So friend, just take a moment 
to think about what your woulda, coulda, shoulda list is. And if you do have a journal, go ahead and list it. And if you don't, just make a mental note. Now, if you have more that you need to consider, you can always press pause to consider more of your woulda, coulda, shouldas. But I want you to think about this list that you've started in your journal or in your head. How often do you return to these things? If often, I have to ask you this, turning back to a past you cannot redo and meditating on your failure, your mistakes, your mess-ups, and your missed opportunities, how is that helping you? Regrets have you carrying around a past you cannot change, impacting a present that you can. So instead of ruminating on what we cannot change, let's be a people who ruminate on what we can right? There, there is a way that we can do that. So here are five things we can do to move from carrying regret to carrying wisdom. The first thing is that we can confess. We can seek God for the forgiveness that he offers. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So God promises that, and yet some of us keep going to God over and over again like a broken record, saying sorry for the same darn thing we can't seem to get over. And notice this passage doesn't say, confess the same thing enough times, and maybe God will extend your grace. No, it doesn't say that. We don't have to sway God to forgive us. If there's something that you regret, that you feel guilt and shame over, confess and be done with it. God says he is. The second thing we can do to move from regrets to wisdom is to extend. Extend yourself the grace God extends you. Some of you have yourself so locked up in unforgiveness for your regretful actions or inactions that it paralyzes you every day. And if you're having a hard time giving yourself grace, practice being a friend to yourself. Think about one of those woulda, coulda, shouldas that, that you put on your list. And imagine just for a moment that a friend is sitting on your couch across from you and you're hanging out and this friend confesses one of those very same regrets. What would you say to them? Would you say you should feel terrible and make yourself keep feeling terrible? No, you wouldn't say that. You would free them. You would extend forgiveness and grace and hope and encouragement to them. So be in the practice of extending to yourself the grace you would extend to others that God has already extended to you. And the third thing is amend. If you wrong someone, make amends. Making amends is so important that it's two steps in the 12 steps of AA. Making amends requires owning the harm you've caused people, making a list of all the people you've hurt, and then directly making amends with them. 
And if you need advice, by the way, on how best to reconcile some regrets that you have in broken relationships, I truly encourage you to check out Collide's online counseling bundle. It's an online course taught by 12 Christian counselors. And there's this class in it called The Keys to Healing Broken Relationships. And this counselor, Don Grove, helps walk you through a process on how to have those kinds of hard conversations. And I found it personally to be extremely helpful. But doing everything in your power to own what you have done and express remorse is key to no longer packing around regrets. The fourth thing you can do is learn. If you feel like you're packing around a story of trip-ups and blunders and failures, turn them into wisdom and pack wisdom around. The best way to do this is begin to name the lessons you've learned. So if you have a journal open on a new page in your journal, write at the top, I learned. And if not, you can ask yourself this and make mental notes. Ask yourself, from each woulda, shoulda, coulda that you noted, what have you learned from each one? So let's just pick one regret off your list right now. I want you to think of that regret and then write or name a corresponding lesson that you learned from it. Some of us regret how we spoke to our kids. The wisdom we now carry is our mouths have the power of life and death, as Proverbs says. Some of us regret not saying yes to that amazing opportunity. And the wisdom we now pack is we don't need to be afraid to say yes to big things. Some of us regret quitting because it got hard. And the wisdom we now carry is to endure hardship because quitting is actually sometimes harder. You don't need to carry regret, friends. You can carry wisdom instead. So I hope you can be freed by that idea. The fifth thing you can do to move from regrets to wisdom is look forward. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Moving from carrying regrets to carrying wisdom requires we stop looking back and instead start looking forward. So when you think about these five things, confess, extend, amend, learn, and look forward. Which ones do you most need to lean into to move you from regrets to wisdom? The second reflection I want to lean into now is moving from fear to trust. And a lot of us on this journey in life pack around fear. And without even knowing it, it holds considerable power over our lives. And you kind of know when something holds power over you in some way, if it dominates, governs, sways, influences, occupies, or bosses you around. 
So just for a moment, I want you to think back on the seasons of your life and reflect. How has fear dominated an aspect of your life like relationships or dreams? How has fear bossed you around and told you where to go or what to do? How has fear occupied your mind and taken up way too much space? Fear loses its power just by beginning to name it. And so I want to invite you to take some time to name your fears, whether that's on paper, whether that's out loud right now in your car, whether that's in your mind, wherever you are at. But spend a moment and list your fears and how they hold power over you. So that can sound like saying, I fear blank, and that fear makes me blank. Examples might sound like, I fear change, and that fear keeps me from saying yes to anything that requires change. Or, I fear being rejected, and that fear has me running from new relationships. Or, I fear failure, and that fear has me playing it safe in every possible way. Franklin D. Roosevelt said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. I actually want to read that again because it is so profound to me. And I want to make sure that you get what he's saying. Franklin D. Roosevelt said, Courage is not the absence of fear but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. So I want you to return to your fear list. And if you need to pause here and actually take some more time to write out your fears, go ahead and do that. Consider just one of the fears that has held you back in your life, and I want you to assess it. You can write on a new page directly next to your fear list page this question, or you can just ask yourself, what is something more important to me than this fear? And then name it. I'll give you an example. I sat with a young woman and did this exercise a few weeks ago. I asked her to list her fears, and then I asked her to pick one to assess. And her fear is rejection. When I asked her to assess what is more important than avoiding rejection, she said being known and loved is more important to her. Well, how will she ever be known and loved, though, if she does not risk rejection? So I want you to take time to pick one fear on your list and ask yourself the question, what is more important than avoiding this fear. Go ahead and think about that. Quickly, our assessment makes it clear that our fears keep us from the more important things. And if you were to make a list with your fears on one side, and your list of what's more important than those fears on the other, what you're looking at is two pages side by side, which are also two paths side by side. Fear and what's more important than fear. And fear leads you down an entirely different direction in your life 
than where the more important things lead you. Fear leads you to self-protect at your own disadvantage. Fear causes you to run from vulnerability. Fear has you saying no to things you ought to say yes to and yes to things you ought to say no to. Fear has you unable to risk and dream. And people who study fear, people who are smart and go to school for this kind of research, they suggest that 85% of what we fear never actually comes true. So much of our fears are us trying to find safety by playing out hypothetical futures that never become reality. So one of these paths finds you most of your life and your time fretting about a fake future that impacts a real present. And one of these paths finds you choosing your highest values, paramount priorities, and chief goals above all else. So every day, in every moment of every day on our journey, we have a choice between these two paths. And remember, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is trust in fear. And over and over and over again, we see in Scripture that God says, do not be afraid. In fact, it's believed that God says this in the Bible 365 times, one for every day of the year. God says we don't have to be afraid because He is with us. See, fear is always an opportunity to practice trust. The definition of the word trust is an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone. Living a courageous life looks like choosing the more important things. Trusting God's got you even if you feel afraid. Choosing trust instead of fear again and again leads our lives down a path that makes for a brilliant life story. So I encourage you to spend some time, even after this podcast ends, to continue assessing all of your fears. Your mental, spiritual, and emotional health is worth time, energy, and investment. As women, we can sometimes struggle to find the space and time necessary to focus on rejuvenating our minds and our spirits. But the truth is, our health is worth it. The Collide Counseling Bundle is an online course featuring 12 videos of mental health professionals giving their best advice, journals, resources, and so much more to help walk you through the topics that are most relevant to your life. Anxiety, broken relationships, body image, and more. We are so thrilled to be making the resources for a sustainable healing journey available for the same investment as what one therapy session typically costs, $99. It's time to invest in your healing and wholeness. Learn more at wecollide.net slash counseling bundle. The third reflection I want to walk us through is moving from lies to truth. A woman at the conference that we just had talked about how we are our favorite preacher because we are who talks to us all day long, right? The voice we carry around on our journey most is ours. 
We're the megaphone in our own ear. We're the song that sings to us all day. We're the voice that influences us most. So often our own voice lies to us, though. Our negative self-talk calls us names, demotivates, discourages, and criticizes. Our lying voice sounds like, you're not, you can't, you'll just, you always, you never, you're so. So I'm curious, what have you been saying to you? Sometimes we don't even know the lies we speak to ourselves until we get real quiet. So I realize that this podcast is much different than the ones we normally do because we're taking some moments to get quiet. So at the top of a new page in your journal, if you have one with you, write pinpoint the lies. And if you don't have a journal, again, you can make mental notes for yourself. I want you to identify the lies that you speak about you to yourself. So examples of this might be, you won't be chosen. You always mess up. You can't handle what other people can handle. Or you're too much. Or you're not enough. Whatever the lies are that you find yourself speaking to yourself, name those. Write those down or make a mental note. The negative self-messages that you've been speaking to yourself. Take a moment to do that. On the top of the next page, I want you to write, identify the voice. The lies you speak to you are often someone else's voice you are repeating. Some of us say to ourselves what our disappointed parents said. You just can't seem to get it together. Some of us criticize ourselves just like our ex did. No one will put up with you. We call ourselves what an old pushy coach or a manipulative pastor, or a mean girl, or a bossing eating disorder, or a shameful mistake, or a worldly ideal called us. I want you to pick one lie right now that you speak to yourself and try to identify the origin of this lie. Who or what does it sound like? I have to tell you, this is such important work. I've done this work over and over and over again. So often the lies that we speak to ourselves are us echoing someone else's words, an old wound, an old experience that's still speaking. Because that's what happens. Old wounds still speak. Overreactive relationships still blame. Judgy judgerton still judge. Rejection still burns. Body critics still critique. The should still should. The abuser still abuses. Every time we allow our voice to echo theirs. So how is packing around these voices impacting your journey? I want you to write on a new page if you have your journal. Admit where the lies are taking you. 
And I encourage you to come back to that as homework after this podcast and be really honest about where these lies are taking you because I guarantee they're taking you somewhere. Scripture describes the power of the tongue. It's compared in James chapter 3 to many things, including a spark that starts a forest fire, a horse bit that turns an animal, and of course, a small rudder that steers a giant ship. Some of us, our journey, our relationships, our dreams, our direction, they're all being radically steered in a direction we don't want to go by the lies we are speaking to ourselves. So in order to move from believing lies about ourselves to believing truths, we have to begin replacing them. So if you do have a journal on the top of the next page in your journal, write replace lies with truth. If you don't have a journal, think about how you're going to do this work. This replacement work is done by speaking God's truth to ourselves. So for a moment on this podcast in the next minute or so, I'm going to read over you some truths drawn from Scripture. And as I read these truths, I encourage you, no matter where you are, put down your cell phone, allow the kids to entertain themselves for a moment. Just let these words be spoken over you and allow the Spirit of God to hand you one truth that you can hold on to this week. Here are some truths to replace those lies. You are God's kid. You are and always have been chosen. You are Jesus' friend. You are forgiven. You are worthy of relationships. You are being made new. You are loved beyond measure. You are worth dying for. You can never be separated from God. You are more than a conqueror. You, friend, are God's masterpiece, His art. You are free. Whichever truth spoke most to one of your lies, I hope that you'll grab hold of that truth and you will speak it to yourself again and again and again. If you need to, write on a post-it note and put it on your bathroom mirror. Write it in your journal super big and return to it every single day this week. But remind yourself of this truth over and over and over again. This four-part work that I just talked about, pinpointing the lies, identifying the voice, admitting and replacing and repeating as often as necessary. This is something that I even have to do on a daily basis. Speaking true to yourself rather than lies will steer your life journey in the direction you were destined to go. And now for the last reflection that we're going to do today in this podcast. Reflection four, moving from a clock 
to an hourglass. The Bible describes our time here on earth as like a flower that withers, a shadow that passes, a mist that vanishes, a flood that sweeps, and a dream that wakes. And yet some of us are packing around a clock, acting as though that thing is going to keep on ticking and ticking and ticking. My friends, the last two serves on the Volunteer Collide ministry team, suggested we ought to carry around an hourglass rather than a clock. Because life is short, and before you know it, you look up and more life has slipped by than you have left. From dust to dust. Ecclesiastes 3.20 says, All of us go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. And Jesus hinted at the brevity of life when he collided with a crowd and told the parable of the rich man who was super-duper successful, and he had a great life, and he produced an abundant crop. And this man thought to himself, This is awesome. I'm going to tear down all the silos that hold my earnings, and I'm going to build bigger ones and gather more and retire and have the time of my life drinking my ties on a beach. And Jesus said, You fool. Your soul will be required of you tonight. And in this story, Jesus makes it so very clear that the clock doesn't keep ticking. In fact, unbeknownst to us at some point, our hourglass will be spent. And Psalm ninety twelve says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. If you have a journal today, I want you to write down the following four numbers with space between them to write. 122, 75, 5, 1. 122 is the number of years Jean Clement, a French woman, lived to be. She holds the world record as the longest person having ever lived. She married her cousin, she ate junk food, she roller skated, she lost her husband 50 years before she died because he ate spoiled cherries, and she became a recording artist at the age of 120 years old. So let's do some math. Take 122 and subtract your current age. I don't know if you're like me in math, but maybe you need a moment. So 122 minus your current age. Now take that number of years left and ask yourself this question. How does the idea that there's still so much time cause you to put off to later what you ought to do now? I'm going to ask you that question again. How does the idea that there's still so much time cause you to put off to later what you ought to do now? Spend some time journaling or thinking about your answer. I'll move on to the next number, 75. 75 is the average life expectancy for a woman. My husband and I realized this year that both our mothers died around this age. And I did the math and quickly found out that if I'm lucky to live to the age they passed, average life expectancy, I only have one-third of my life left. And this realization has really messed with me this year. And if I'm honest, I want more than an average life. And I think you might too. 
no matter what age you are. So my question for you is how do you make an average length life more than average? Take some time to think about how do you uniquely, you uniquely define a life well lived. Such an important question to ask ourselves. The next number, five. Five years is how long 86% of women survive after they get diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. I recently went in for a mammogram because I felt a lump in my breast and it was painful. And I think all of us who've had a mammogram have what I call a mammo moment. It's this moment where you're left alone in a changing room with the gown that they hand you and you have this crisis because you can't remember if you're supposed to wear the ties in the front or the back. And so you wonder what's worse, getting it embarrassingly wrong by showing your full frontal or your rump shaker and your ham hocks. But then you remember that you're there for your boobs, so you choose what's most embarrassing. Once you're done playing a would-you-rather game with yourself, you wait, and then it gets somber. Not because they're about to squish your breasts into pancakes, but because you wonder, is this it? Is this going to be my story? Will I be joining all the amazing women who sat here and hoped it wasn't their story too? So I was sitting there. And I was having this kind of moment when they called me in for the mammogram. And afterwards, they had me go back into the changing room to wait again because they wanted to do an unplanned ultrasound. While I waited, I felt my left breast and it hurt. And I thought, this can't be good. And this moment became a moment of clarity for me. Everything got taken through a filter that I didn't even know I had. And you have this filter too. And when you have a mammal moment or some other kind of moment like this, all the main things become the main things. And all of a sudden, you know your priorities more clearly than you ever have before. And you think, if I am one of the ones, if I get bad news, what will I do with my days? And it all of a sudden becomes very, very clear. The outcome that day was good news for me, but I have friends who haven't gotten such good news. And maybe you're one of those women. And if you are, I stand with you. And I will fight for you in prayer. And I know that we all have so much to learn from you because the women I know who've had mammal moments with not such good news, they're the women who most know how to number their days. Not because they know how many they have or because they won't defy the odds or because they won't fight the battle and absolutely crush it, but because they have gained and experienced a clarity around what really matters that some of us have yet to gain. They're the women who get the outright importance of living each day with an absolute resolve to the highest of things. And I hope none of us ever get bad news in a room like that. But I do hope that we have mammo moments, or by that I mean moments that put our lives into great perspective. 
So just for a moment, right here, right now, I want you to picture being in that changing room waiting for your news like I was that day. If you knew you had five years to live, what priorities become very clarifying for you? It might be very important for you to answer that question in your journal or take some time over the next week to truly think about it. I'll move on to the last number, which is one. I found a picture after my mom passed away this year. And it was a picture that I realized as soon as I had seen it, it was the last picture I have of my family with my mom, and it was taken a year before she died. And the picture captures us in awe, staring at this beautiful overlook at Bayview State Park in the Pacific Northwest, looking out at the San Juan Islands. And that day, my mom wanted to show us the cemetery where she wanted to be buried. And when she suggested the idea, I just thought, Mom, that's such a weird suggestion and an awkwardly sad thing to do with the grandkids. I didn't say that, but it just felt like, man, really? Like, we're going to drive down and see you and you want to go hang out at a cemetery? And plus, she wasn't sick or diagnosed with something, but she really cared and wanted to show us. So we went to this Bayview Cemetery. And from the cemetery, we did her favorite walk from her future burial plot to this gorgeous overlook. And we took a picture, and that's the last picture I have of my mom with my husband and my kids. And I had no idea that day when we took it that my mom would die and be buried there one year later. And had I known... I can tell you that I would have done so many things differently if I knew I only had a year left with her. But I cannot carry regret because regrets won't help my journey. Wisdom will. And wisdom is teaching me to number my days. And numbering my days is teaching me to live wisely. And so now I ask myself things like, if I have one year left with my daughter, what do I want to experience? So friend, I invite you to take a moment now and imagine knowing that you have one year left to live. What would you want to look back in one year from today? and see took place in your life between now and then. Jesus numbered his days. He was always predicting his time would come, and because he numbered his days, each one was spent wisely. Wisdom is not just knowing things. Wisdom is knowing, grasping, revering, and living into what we already know. Each day Jesus lived, he lived on mission. Each person he collided with, he loved. Each moment he experienced, he made count. He knew his time would come and he would utter on the cross, it is finished. His mission came to an end, his life for our life. But it was in numbering his days that Jesus purposed them. 
And we can't live like we have forever here. We have forever somewhere else, but not here. So let us be a people who, like our Jesus, number our days so that we may live wisely. Friend, I'm so glad that you hopped on to this podcast to walk through these four reflections with me. If you need to spend more time doing some processing, some journaling, some praying, some asking yourself some hard questions. We are on a journey, and we're all carrying around lots of things, but my hope is that you will carry around wisdom, that you'll ditch the regrets, that you'll ditch the lies and the fear and the clock that tells you you have forever or you you are, are here for, for so long because those things are holding us back. Friend, I hope you know that your life is beautiful, it matters, and God wants to purpose it to do amazing things on the journey. I thank you for hanging out with me today. And if you are needing some other resources in your life, resources to grow in your faith, to build up your hope, to bring you healing, or peace in your anxiety, check out our website at wecollide.net. We have so much on there for you. And I hope that you will continue to run into the one who loves you with a love that's indescribable, a love that's unconditional, a love that's sacrificial, a God who comes alongside you in the journey and invites you and says, let's do this together. Come and follow me. Keep colliding, friend, and we'll catch you next week. This is our last podcast of this season, and then I'll be back on in the fall. During the summer, we will recast some old episodes, bringing up uh, some that we feel like might be great to highlight that you'll enjoy this summer. So I'm really glad that you hopped on today for our final episode of the season.